May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Do you believe the Lord is the Lord? Do you believe the Lord is the Lord? Not simply in a theological way, not knowing or confessing that he was there at creation or that he is God, not Lord in that sense, but rather that this the second person of the Holy Trinity, who was there at creation and who is God, but that he is actually Lord of your life. Lord of your situation, Lord of your personal world, Lord of your soul. This is the question that stood out to me as I prepared for today's sermon based on the story that we heard in our gospel lesson. Today we read from Matthew chapter 9 verses 1 through 8. It's the miracle of the healing of the the paralytic man, or as Matthew says, the man with palsy. It's also found in the other synoptic gospel accounts in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. And while some of the details are differently presented by each of the inspired gospel writers, the main aspects of the story are the same. A paralytic is brought to Jesus by his friends. But when they arrive at the place, at the house in which Jesus is staying and teaching at, they cannot approach Jesus because there's too many people. So what do they do? They scale to the roof of the house, they make a hole in it, and they lower the man down into the presence of Jesus from above. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be a little befuddled if I were Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, imagine for a moment that during my sermon, someone came down the aisle and tried to interrupt me while I preached this sermon. What would you all do? I think you'd do one of two things. Some of you might jump the person because you think they're up to no good and you would want to protect me and the congregation, our first reaction might be that of defending. And we have a parish monitor, as I announced, with Harry today and and security cameras uh, being installed. Why? Because we want to protect everyone. But if you aren't a defensive type of person, you might sit there and wait to see what I would do with the situation. You might take your cue from me and react based on my lead. And quite honestly, I'm not sure exactly how I would handle that scenario. I'd be somewhat open to hearing about the situation, but yet I'd be a little defensive and precautious at the same time. And that's if they came in the front door and down the aisle like a normal person. Imagine, though, if it was through the roof. Imagine if a a hole opened up, and let's pray that does not happen. If a hole opens up, and some guy came down like a a trapeze artist with his friends roping him down. Well, that just adds a whole new level and dimension to the story, doesn't it? 
But none of the gospel writers paint Jesus in the same light as us. So let's return to that house situation and not our church building. If we were there, we'd all be worried about what's going on. We'd all be worried about the damage that's done to the roof. We'd all be worried about someone interrupting our time with Jesus. We'd all be angry at them for messing up Jesus' teaching time with us. We'd all be worried about this off-the-wall situation as Beatrice comes down the aisle. I am not afraid of her. (laughs) We joked last week that she was going to come up and get me at the altar one day. (laughs) And I said, I don't know what I would do if she didn't. (laughs) But she's adorable, so... (laughs) Uh, Jesus isn't painted that way. (laughs) Actually, I think that Jesus seems to be amazed by this. And I think the silence of the gospel writers on the matter... Well, it seems to loudly echo Jesus' overwhelming reaction to this. Somewhat dumbfounded and overwhelmed at the length, or the lengths that they went to. I mean, most people, if they couldn't get through the front door, wouldn't stick around, would they? Mark even words it that way for us. He says in Mark chapter 2, verse 2, immediately men gathered together, many gathered together. So that there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. This was pandemonium. This was crazy. And if you're like me, I can't stand crowds. I give up hope. I get frustrated. I leave. I don't have patience for lines and crowds. So if there's a long line somewhere, I leave. I resign myself and I say, oh well, I'll come back another day. But not this man. Not these friends. To the roof we will go, they think. In no way will this man not be placed be placed before Jesus that day. And why? Because they and the man believed Jesus could do what no one else could do. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus, as the scriptures say, seeing their faith, In other words, amazed at observing what great lengths they would go to because of their belief in Jesus. Jesus, seeing their faith, well, he doesn't scold them. Jesus, seeing their faith in their actions that day, does not walk away from them. Jesus, seeing their faith embodied in such a crazy expression, does not tell them to hoist the man back up through the hole and then send them away. Jesus, seeing their faith in himself as Lord, addresses the man quickly and directly without using any other words first. No prompting, no urging, no asking. Now, we don't know the background to the man's situation. We don't know how long he had been a paralytic. We don't know for sure if it was A situation where something physical overtook him or happened to him. Matthew says he had palsy, which seems to indicate it was some sort of a a nervous disorder. He had no control over his limbs. They might tremor, tremor uncontrollably. We know the symptoms of his problem, but we don't know for sure the cause of it. Or do we? Actually, the context of the passage seems to indicate... And commentators agree that this wasn't the result 
of a physical accident or a physical disease, but rather the result of a spiritual problem and disease. It seems that something, some spiritual disease and sin deep in the man's soul manifested itself in this physical expression and reality. I mean, most of us, I think, have heard the term psychosomatic. Some of us have witnessed others whose inner condition caused an outer condition. Some of us may have even experienced that ourselves. I mean, do we doubt it? What about ulcers from stress? What about lack of sleep because of worry? What about panic attacks? I've had one of those. Ask my wife. She'll tell you right away where she carries her stress from work. A bad day at work means a terrible neck and shoulder issue. Now magnify that for this man. And why is that believed? Well, because of what Jesus does. What does Jesus do and say to the man? Matthew chapter 9 does not say that Jesus' first words to the man are, Man, get up and walk. Mark chapter 2 doesn't say that Jesus' first words to the man are, Man, get up and walk. Luke chapter 5 does not say that Jesus' first words are, man, get up and walk. What are Jesus' first words to the man? Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Or excuse yeah, chapter 9, verse 2. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. What is Jesus' first words? Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Jesus doesn't just address the physical aspects of the man's condition. Jesus digs a little deeper in the man's life. Jesus goes to the underlying issue here. Jesus goes to the ultimate paralysis in the man's life, his sin and his soul. You see, our life is so much more than our body. If truth be told, we can live with pain in our feet and our legs. We can stomach and bear the pains of headaches and arthritis and other bodily ailments. We don't like it, but we can deal with it. And we understand that it's a part of growing older. It's a part of the natural process of this temporal earthly body. But what we cannot bear, what we struggle at dealing with, Well, they're the pains and the aches of our soul. Bitterness. Resentment. Anger. Frustration. Sadness. Depression. Poor self-esteem. Feeling distant from God. Thinking we're not good enough. Those types of things. And did I say guilt? (laughs) Guilt is a great paralyzer of the soul especially for the sins that we know that we should not have committed. Guilt for what we did to others when we sinned against them. Guilt for not being the person that we know that God created us to be when we have fallen short of the glory of God, as as Paul says in Romans chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, that's the injury of sin. That's the paralysis of sin, whether it be what sins we committed or even what sins others have committed against us. And it doesn't really matter what the sin is. 
I mean, none of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, tell us what the sin is that this man did. I mean, we can make some sort of guess about that all day long. What did he do? What, what could have been so bad that would make this man paralyzed? I mean, it makes me wonder. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it was adultery. It doesn't matter if it was blasphemy. It doesn't matter if it was that he spent his, his youth on crazy living. It doesn't matter if it was anger with God. It doesn't matter whether it was murder. It doesn't matter which of the commandments this man broke. The particular doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter how we might quantify or qualify sin. Because the truth is that all sin is unhealthy. Sin, as enticing as it may appear, sin as enjoyable as it may seem, sin as logical as it may seem to us in our justification of it, always ends up in the same place. Despite the great appeal of whatever tempts us, tailing along, not far behind it, if you will, on the backside of the gratification of it, are the spiritual repercussions and ramifications. Sin brings with it pain and suffering and ultimately death. I mean, St. Paul made that clear when he said in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. And the gospel writers, and Jesus seems to proclaim that such was the case with this man. He was paralyzed by his sin. Whatever psychosomatic issues were at play, this man's sin destroyed his life in the same way that lives around us are all destroyed by sin. Even in the same way that perhaps our own life is being destroyed and paralyzed by sin today. But here's where the question comes in with which I started this morning. And it will be where we end as well. Do you believe the Lord to be the Lord? That's what we discover in this passage. That's where Jesus even takes this conversation. The Pharisees, well, they gripe at what Jesus says to the man. Luke's account says that they proclaim, Who is this that blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And to that, Jesus responds and he says, But that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And the man does. The Pharisees were correct. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But then Jesus, in proclaiming forgiveness in word, and then improving it through the physical healing of the man, shows that he is Lord not just over the man's body, but over his soul over his sin. Do you believe the Lord to be the Lord of your life? Do you believe the Lord to be the Lord who can conquer sin? Do you believe the Lord to be the Lord who can overcome the paralysis of your soul? Do you believe the Lord to be the Lord with all might and all power like this man did? 
so much so that nothing could stop him from seeing the Lord that day. I mean, for crying out loud, they made a hole in the roof and they lowered him down. Nothing could stop him because he believed in the Lord. Friends, Jesus is Lord not just to heal your situation. Jesus is Lord not just to heal physical ailments and sicknesses. But Jesus is Lord, the one with all authority to heal your soul. Sins that you've committed. Sins committed against you. Sins that have surrounded you. Sins that have engulfed your life. Sins that have wreaked havoc and turned your world upside down. Sins that have paralyzed your soul. Jesus is Lord over it all. Jesus is Lord over it all. Search as you may. Search as so many in this world and in this life try to do. But there is only one who can truly heal your soul. Jesus, our Lord. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.